I want to talk to you today about Hagar, the desperate mother. A few years ago, Focus on the Family published a testimony of a woman named Kendra. It was the article, Desperate for Love. Her young life took a drastic turn towards tragedy when at age 10, her mother passed away from AIDS. That wasn't painful enough. Kendra's father disowned her. He told her that she was conceived when he was drunk and that he never really wanted her. As a young teen, Kendra believed that she was unwanted and unlovable. Maybe there's somebody today who may feel the same way. Here's what Kendra said. I wanted anybody to love me. And then I figured out how to get boys to pay attention to me. I thought if my daddy didn't want me, then maybe some other man would. And I would do anything and say anything just to be loved. By age 21, Kendra was now in a difficult situation. She was a single mother with a daughter. Just making ends meet was a constant struggle for her. And facing eviction, she discovered that one way to make quick cash was to become a stripper. So she worked as a medical assistant by day and danced for men by night. Her daughter stayed with family and friends, sometimes for days, even weeks on end. Every man that she started a relationship with was in it for lust, not love. Alcohol and drugs could not seem to dull her pain. And on top of feeling rejected, Kendra also felt incredible shame for her lifestyle of promiscuity and overwhelming guilt for a sense of being a failure as a mother. So she reached rock bottom one night. She decided as she knelt by her bed that it was time to end it all. That life would just be better without her here. Well, I'm going to tell you more about Kendra's story later on in the message. But I think that her struggle is one that many mothers can relate to, especially those today who are trying to do it alone. Did you know that according to the 2021 U.S. Census Bureau, there's about 11 million single-parent households in the United States today? They tell us in that same report that 80% of those single-parent homes are single moms. A staggering, listen to this, four out of ten babies born in the U.S. are born to single moms. What about the poverty rate? Well, for single mother families in 2020, that poverty rate was 23.4%. That's five times higher than the rate for married couples. The New York Times, which is not exactly a bastion for truth, but every once in a while, even a broken clock can... Get the time right twice a day. In 2021, the New York Times published an article with this title, America's Mothers Are in Crisis. Is anyone listening? In that article, the author talked about how the pandemic had drastically upended life for so many mothers. In fact, the newspaper set up a hotline called the Primal Scream in which mothers could call in and talk to a counselor and if need be, scream out their frustrations and stress. <laughs> the article reported that thousands of frazzled mothers called in with shouts, cries, guttural yells, and lots of expletives. 
Motherhood is not for the faint of heart. And all the moms in the house said, Amen. There isn't a job description more daunting than that of a mom. Moms are caregivers, they're chefs, they're nurses, they're tutors, they're psychiatrists, they're chauffeurs, they're homemakers, they're seamstresses, they're CFOs and party planners, they're crisis negotiators and, and all-around multitaskers. You've got to be tough if you're going to be a mom. I like the way President Abraham Lincoln described his mama as velvet steel. Isn't that a great description? Equal parts tough and tender. I know some velvet steel mamas. Now the Bible is full of godly mothers who might inspire us today. We could talk about Jochebed, the mother of Moses, or Hannah, Samuel's mother, or Mary, the mother of Christ. We could go to Proverbs 31 and talk about the godly woman there. But if there's a velvet steel mother who speaks to our times, it's got to be the one that is often ignored and forgotten in our Old Testament. It's a little lady named Hagar. We find her story in, in Genesis chapter 21. And in the message today, I, I hope that the story of Hagar not only ministers to our moms, but she's going to teach us a lot today about how our faith can overcome all kinds of struggles and how God can find us. I want you to see number one today as we begin in our text, a mother's desperate plight. A mother's desperate plight. We'll start reading Genesis 21 and verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. And so Abram rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. And then she said, Look me not on the death of the child. As she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. The mother's desperate plight. Who is Hagar? We're catching up with her in the middle of a long story. But Hagar was a single mom whose life was marked by tragedy. If we could go back in the book of Genesis, you would see that in early as Genesis 13, she is an Egyptian slave girl that belonged to Abraham and Sarah, the father of the faithful. 
God promised Abraham that he would make out of him a great nation, but there was only one problem with Abraham and Sarah. Their biological clock was ticking. He was getting close to 100. Sarah was up in her 90s. And so there was a miracle that had to happen there in order for a son to be born. And when the geriatric couple could not conceive, Sarah conceived a scheme it was actually for Hagar, the slave girl in the house, to have a one-night stand with her husband, Abraham, so that she might become a surrogate mother. Now, even though this is culturally accepted in the day, this was certainly not part of God's plan. And so you can imagine Hagar going into Abraham's tent, a maiden, and coming out a mother. And you need to understand, if you want to get the psychology of Hagar... This is a slave girl. For her whole life, she has been treated as disposable property. You go where they tell you to go. You do what they tell you to do. And I'm sure that this young lady grew up with that inferiority complex ingrained within her that she was unwanted and unloved. Now, when we come to Genesis 21, you need to see that the drama in Abraham's home by this time is too much. I mean, you just thought that Jerry Springer, <laughs> or Dr. Phil, had some dysfunctional families on their TV programs. I mean, the Bible's got them beat. <laughs> There's not one great family in all of the book of Genesis. They're all messed up. <laughs> but in Genesis 21, the drama is too great in Abraham's house. And by now, aged Sarah has given birth to Isaac. We read in the beginning of the chapter that Isaac has been weaned. He's probably about three years old. And all of a sudden, the tent is too small for Hagar and Ishmael. Sarah never liked to, uh, that Hagar had a one-up on her, that she did conceive, and then she got jealous, and so she forces them out. And Hagar becomes a single mother. with Nowhere to go, and no solutions in sight. Now, friends, here is a, a woman who's a victim of unjust circumstances amen as a slave girl her life held little value her opinion counted for nothing we live in a generation today where we hear the cry my body my choice and yet here's a true case of somebody who had no control over their pregnancy and by the way isn't it interesting that the same crowd who a year ago was demanding that everybody get vaxxed is now uh, screaming at the top of their voices, my body, my choice, when it looks like the decision is not going to go in their favor. But now we see that the very people who have concocted this plan that's led to Hagar's pregnancy and childbirth are, are now throwing her out into the wilderness. These are supposed to be godly people, I'm sure she thought. Everything that she'd heard about the true and living God was through the witness of Abraham and Sarah. And now, she's out on her own. Now, she doesn't know that God has already instructed Abraham to do that and gave Abraham a promise that he was going to take care of them. She doesn't know that. But as I read this story this week, I thought about three words that came to mind as I looked into Hagar's life at this moment. She's homeless. She's helpless. And she's hopeless. 
Pastor Chuck Swindoll wrote this in his book on Abraham. He said, quote, I can think of no better example to describe single parenting than Hagar. Here was a mom who was turned out to the barren wasteland of Beersheba with nothing more than a canteen of water, a Swiss army knife, and her son. Like so many single parents, Hagar faced the challenge of having to survive alone, wandering aimlessly, having to make too little provision cover too many needs, being forsaken by loved ones, and wondering if God still cared. Are you beginning to get your shoes in the sandals of this desperate mother? There's a lot of mothers today who can relate to Hagar. Hagar was lost in that desert, not knowing where to go. And so too is the teen girl who has an unplanned pregnancy. She finds herself now in a place where she doesn't know where to go. Who can I turn to? Hagar is barely scraping by on limited resources. And so is the single mother who's pinching pennies, trying to to make it to another payday. Hagar is rejected by her family And so is the woman today who made a mistake in her past and her family has labeled her with a scarlet letter. And she feels shame today. Maybe by something that was done to her or some bad choice that she made. But I see Hagar in the faces of many women today. And so Hagar sits down to cry. And so do many mothers who are overwhelmed by the barrage of children and demands and stress and bills and problems. Some of the moms in the house today tell me, am I preaching or not? You want to sit down and cry some days. Your husband, God love him, even though he's a good man, he he, he can't understand. Right? I'm, I'm limited as a man even though I can love my wife sacrificially and try and help her as much as, as is I am able to, there, there are some things that, those burdens that only moms carry. It's a special burden. Before you get upset with me, Caitlin and I talked about this story that I'm about to tell you. So I got a clearance to share this. <laughs> Not too long ago, I came home one afternoon, and the house just looked like a disaster zone. Toys and clothes are strewn about everywhere. Dirty dishes pile up in the sink. Kids are running around like crazy, yelling and screaming, fighting, carrying on. Yeah, that's the pastor's house sometimes. Not just your house. I've got three little sinners running around my house, okay? You don't have to teach them to be sinners. They know how to do it. It was so bad. It was so bad. I opened the front door and one of the cats went, boom. It was so bad. The cat couldn't even stand it anymore. The cat had to get out of the house. Made me think of what my papa told me. He said, son, when you get married, he said, here's a little tip. He said, before you go inside, always take your hat and throw it in. He said, if they throw your hat back out, give it a few minutes before you go in. I walk in the house. I'm looking for Caitlin. I don't see her anywhere. I get the kids calmed down for a minute. I say, where's mommy? Abigail says, daddy, I think mommy's in the closet. (laughs) I thought, okay, she's in there hanging up clothes. You know, just doing a chore. Well, I get to the closet. 
The door's shut. I look under there. I don't see any light coming out from underneath the door. So I'm kind of puzzled a little bit. I knock on the door. No answer. I turn the knob. It's locked. <laughs> so I, we got some of those uh, doorknobs, you know, where you can stick something in and, and kind of jimmy it and unlock it. So I opened the door and walked in, and there's Caitlin sitting in the dark on the floor with a, a finger stuck in her ear, and she's on the phone trying to talk to somebody. I don't know who it was. And I looked at her, and she looked back at me, and she had one of those looks. One of those mama looks, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, man. She looked at me. Her face started to turn red. That vein in her neck started to pop out. I just closed the door behind me. Children, come with me. Let's give mommy a, a minute to catch her mental health again. We can laugh about it now. It wasn't funny on that day. Sometimes the greatest thing dad can do is come and rescue mom from the tyranny of her children. But there are some days, moms, when you find yourself alone in a desert. And all you feel like you can do is cry. And you think to yourself, Lord, it sure would be nice if you could show up and give me a word or give me an answer. Lord, are you there? That's a mother's desperate plight. But then notice as we continue, a mother's dependable promise. A mother's dependable promise. Look at what verse 17 says. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Don't you love God's questions? <laughs> Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Just when Hagar is given into despair, we read here that the angel of the Lord comes to her aid. Now, I don't have time to go into a full-on study here, but... Just know that when you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's always a pre-incarnate, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. And when you're God and you're omnipotent and omniscient and outside time and space, you can do those things. Don't ask me how it's possible because uh, I don't have enough letters behind my name to be able to explain that. But what we see here is a picture of God's compassion, God's mercy for this desperate mother. And as she cries, friend, let me remind you today that tears are a language that God understands. Amen? Amen? Yeah. God hears you in your distress and He comes to your side. Psalm 116 is an appropriate passage that speaks powerfully about God's presence in our lives Verse 1, I love the Lord for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because He turned His ear to me, I will call upon Him as long as I live. Verse 8, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. My, what a verse. Here's a lesson worth writing down, something that God showed me out of this passage today. Look at this. God can turn a desert into a discovery. 
Isn't that awesome? That in this desert of despair, Hagar's lost. She's homeless. She's helpless. She's hopeless. But God hasn't lost sight of her. God found her in this desert. The desert is where we discover that God specializes in deliverance. A desert is where we discover God's chief ability is His unfailing dependability. (laughs) We may not know our way out of the desert, but He knows the way through. Circumstances may have led us into that desert, but God will lead us on and God will lead us out. Oh friend, notice the compassion of God, the love of God, the goodness of God in young Hagar's life. God came searching for her when she could not get out of that situation that she was in. He came seeking. He found her. Hey, and Jesus Christ is still seeking after somebody today. There's somebody in the sound of my voice today who's in that desert situation. You're helpless, you're homeless, you're you're, you're hurting today and you're wondering, does God hear me? Does God see me? Does God even know? Does He care about my plight? I'm telling you, He's there. He comes to you in your addiction. He finds you in your pain. He lifts you up in your grief. He comes to you in your depression, your exhaustion, your rejection, your sin. God is there. He finds us when our failure is great, when our faith is low. He finds us in that desert. Oh, and the desert becomes a place of discovery where we find out that God was looking for us and that God found us. Now notice here, the angel of the Lord reminded Hagar of the promise that he had made to her about the destiny of her son Ishmael. Did you see what it said in verse 18 toward the end? Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand for I will make him into a great nation. A promise of God. If you go back 14, 15 years from this point to Genesis chapter 16 and verse 10. Hagar was in another desert situation. She just found out that she was pregnant. And she was running away. She was supposed to be going back to Egypt. The angel of the Lord found her in that situation and gave her a promise. Chapter 16, verse 10. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And now the same promise that he gave her years ago is reinforced again Here in chapter 21, right there on that road to Egypt, God revealed a special destiny for her and for her son. And friend, here's what I want you to see today. Difficult circumstances may cause us to doubt God's plan and God's promises, but how gracious and how loving is God that not only is He a great promise maker, but He's a great promise keeper, my friend. And it's been said that a promise of God is an island of certainty and a sea of uncertainty. When the ground shakes beneath your feet, when the winds blow, and when it seems like everything's falling apart, sometimes the only thing you can hang on to is a sure, steady, ironclad promise of God. And when you're lost, when you're despairing, when you don't know where the provision is going to come from, the promise of God is what will get you from the desert to your destiny. A mother's dependable promise. I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote about this. 
He said, quote, don't treat God's promises as if they were curiosities for a museum or quaint sayings to be stitched on a pillow. His promises are meant to be plied, tried, and tested when life's billows roll. God's promises are longer than life, broader than sin, deeper than the grave, and higher than the stars. There is no saint who can outbelieve God. He never outpromised himself yet. Amen. Love the story that Pastor Rob Morgan told. He told a story, I'll never forget, about a, a lady in his church who kind of had this curious habit of she had a, a prayer box. And every time that there was a need in her life, uh, this lady developed a vibrant prayer life. She would, before she'd go to anybody else, she'd go to the Lord. She'd take that need to God, which is really what we should do, but. Oftentimes, prayer becomes the last resort. And so she began to take her needs to the Lord. And, and every time that God would deliver, every time that God would meet a bill, or, or God would heal a child, or God would answer a prayer, she'd take out a slip of paper, and she'd write down the date, and she'd write down the request and how God answered, and she'd fold up in a little slip of paper and, and put it down in a prayer box. Well, this mother entered a great time of adversity, her husband was sick. Husband was out of work. Making ends meet was really difficult. The bills stacked up. This lady's anxiety level was, was going up. She began to doubt God in her frustration. God, where are you? God, you're not answering my prayers. It seemed as if the heavens had turned to brass. It seemed as if the Bible was a book in a foreign language. She was dry. She was barren. There was no answer from God. It seemed as if... This desert was going to be the end. Well, the kids were running around in the house one day. Playing, wrestling, fighting. They threw a ball. ball sailed through the air and it knocked that prayer box off the shelf where she kept it. And that box came down crashing. And when it crashed, it busted open and all those little pieces of paper went fluttering everywhere. Well, as most moms do, she lost it. Moms are usually pretty patient, you know. But when you've crossed the line, Katie barred the door, you better run and hide. <laughs> so these kids, they, they got their scolding. They broke mama's box and she put them away and she got down on the floor. It was all too much for her. She sat there, she started to cry. But as she picked up those little slips of paper... It was like God tapped her on the shoulder. Because she opened up those slips of paper and, and started to read them again. God met my power bill and then the day. God healed my sick daughter and then the day. God answered the prayer for a prodigal to come home. And as she sat there in her tears, she picked up all them little slips of paper and started reading. And it was like God just told her, hey, remember this? Remember when I was here for you in that time? Remember this miracle? Remember this answered prayer? Remember when I came through for you again? And she threw up her hands there in the house and began to praise the faithfulness of God because she had to be reminded of all the times, all the promises, all the word that had been poured into her heart. She had to be reminded of God's goodness and God's faithfulness in her life. And old friend, here's what I want you to see here today. Our problems do not overrule God's promises. 
Our problems do not overrule God's promises even though it looked bleak. Even though there was no way out, God had a promise. God was not going to let Hagar and Ishmael die in that desert. He promised them a long and a bright future. And friend, we have to lay hold of the promises of God in our lives today. And be reminded, don't forget, be reminded of all the times that God came through. All the times He healed your child. All the times He met that need. All the times that He was faithful. Well, we see a mother's desperate plight. And we see a mother's dependable promise. But then I close today. And I want you to see this. Number three, a mother's divine provision. Mother's divine provision, verse 19. I love that. Then God opened up her eyes. And she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And when God was with the boy, he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The well that she saw. Oh, friend, there's a sermon all in that right there. The well was there all along. I don't believe that God just made a well magically appear. That's not the way the text explains this. But this well is there all along. But in her despair, in her grief, Hagar misses what's right there in front of her eyes. And friend, when you're in a desert, when it seems as if God is a million miles away, it's easy for your vision to get blurry, isn't it? You don't see what's so patently obvious in front of you. It's hard to see God when all you see is tears and you're looking through cracked glass because your life has been shattered. When we're hopeless and fearful and tired, it becomes impossible to see God's hand in our situation. But friend, listen to me. I've been in a desert before. God doesn't lead you into a desert to die. He leads you into a desert to grow. And for you to learn Something about God that you can't learn in times of goodness, in times of prosperity, in times of blessing. Some things you can only learn about God in the desert. And that's the precious stuff that you carry with you through the rest. That's the testimony that you can share with loved ones and with your family and with lost people one day. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about the time there was no hope when the doctors gave the prognosis. Let me tell you when the resources were gone. Let me tell you when I felt God was a million miles away and He showed up and He said, Look over here. There's something you've had yet to see. Friend, here's the final application for you today. Don't let pain blind you to God's provision. Don't let pain blind you to God's provision. It was there all along, but Hagar didn't have eyes to see it. The place where Hagar almost succumbed to the desert is the place where God opened her eyes to unseen provision. Friend, if you're in that desert today, mom, if you're in that desert today, don't give in to the defeatist mentality of the desert. You will get out. God is closer than you think. And His oasis is perfectly positioned right there at your breaking point. You may not see it. That well may be hidden in sight. But friend, there's a well that's running over today. It's in the Word. It's in worship. It's in God's people. It may be there and you may not have availed yourself to it or seen it. But friend, it's there. And the well is not run dry. It's there for your soul. 
And when God comes to us in that moment, oh, He reminds us, this season will soon end. This desert will turn out to be your deliverance. This sin will not win. This story is not over. It's just one little dark chapter out of the whole life story that I've written for you. A mother's divine provision. We find out that God is still there. That God sees. That God still cares. And oh yes, God intervenes. Oh friend, here's the amazing thing that I see in this text. In the Old Testament, I got into a word study this week. This may sound boring at first, but hang with me. I looked at that word well. This is the kind of stuff that preachers get into, right? They fall down a rabbit hole. There's two words in the Hebrew language for well. There's an artesian well or a naturally occurring spring of water. There's a Hebrew word for that. And then there's another word that's used in the Hebrew language that means a hand dug well. Follow me? There's a difference. Why is this important? Why do I point this out to you? What kind of well do you think was there when Hagar and Ishmael needed a drink of water? Well, the word that's used in the text isn't the word for an artesian well or a natural spring of water. The word that's used there is a hand-dug well. Now think about this. She's in a desperate place. She's in a desolate place. She's in the wilderness of Beersheba. And I read in my Bible that there was a hand-dug well that had not run dry. And you know what that says to me? That God did something in the past that nobody knew about. That God knew that Hagar and Ishmael would be in that very spot on that day. And that they knew that he knew that they would need a drink of water. And friend, what I'm telling you is that God long ago, we don't even have it in our scripture except in that one word, hand dug well. Somebody long ago was moved by God to get out there in a desert and dig and dig a well because he knew there was a desperate little mama and her son who would need a drink of water. And God arranged it all the way back then in the past so that in the, her time of, of, of problem, it would be there to meet her. And friend, I wanted you to know today that God is already in your tomorrow. And when you get there, what you're going to find is that God is there. He's already worked in the past. He's already brought things providentially to a point where you'll find the provision is there. If you open your eyes and see it, you'll find He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a providential God. He's a God who dug a well and said live. Oh my goodness. God did this a long time ago. We prepared it ahead of time. God's in your future. God's in that moment that you can't see down the road where you're going to need Him to come through. But when you get there, you'll say, Oh my gosh, He's already set the table for me. Oh friend, if you're struggling today, I want you to know there's a well of living water. Amen. And what's so amazing about this passage, 2,000 years from this point in Genesis 21, fast forward 2,000 years, Jesus is sitting beside a well. He's in a well there by the city of Samaria. And he has a divine appointment. He's waiting on a woman to arrive. A woman who has a sordid backstory just like Hagar. 
She'd been married five times and the man that she was with was not her husband. But yet despite all of that, Jesus reached out to her. Jesus found her. Jesus sought her and brought her into the kingdom of God. You know what he said to that woman? He said in John 4, 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. Friend, I want you to know today, there's a well that's never run dry. Oh, it's the living Lord Jesus Christ. And if your soul is parched, if your past is spotted with sin and with evil and wickedness, how you can come to Him, He will clean you up. He'll bring you into uh, the kingdom of God. He will give you hope. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you peace. He'll fill you up and give you a second chance. He'll break the chains of addiction. Oh, friend, when you drink from the living water, depression flees. And you get filled up with joy. When you get filled up with joy in the Holy Spirit, friend, you get a new life, a new heart, a new desire to serve Him. And God told Hagar, don't you worry. I've got it all figured out. Uh, there's a plan for you. There's a hope for your son. Don't hang your head. Get up, drink, go, and live. And friend, that's the message that I have for you today. Moms, if you're in that problem, if you're in that plight, oh, there's a well. His name is Jesus. When you say, Lord, I don't know how to pray for my kids anymore. Lord, I don't know how to parent anymore. Lord, I don't have the strength within me. There's a well. You know, we talked earlier on about Kendra. The single mom, she spent her whole life drinking from the wells of the world. And none of that ever satisfies. Here's what happened to her. She looked for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. She couldn't find it in the arms of a man or in the haze of addiction. Like Hagar, she had consigned herself to hang her head, to cry, and to die. But how many of you know God turns your desert into a deliverance? Kneeling there beside her bed, she contemplated suicide. But she thought, as she picked up her phone, surely I can get a hold of somebody. So she called her former boyfriends. She called her friends. She called family. Is there anybody out there who will comfort me? But oddly enough, nobody picked up. That's when she finally turned to God. A family member had given her a Bible. It had been collecting dust. She opened it up. Lord, I don't even know what to pray. But God, if you are real, I don't want to die. Show me the way. Her eyes laid upon Psalm 50 and verse 15. Call to me when troubles come. I will save you. And then ye shall praise me. God spoke to her spirit and here's what he said. You've tried calling everybody else. Have you tried calling on me though? And she said in her testimony, at that moment I realized that when nobody else answers the phone, I can always call on Jesus. And right there, she asked God to save her. Jesus to become the Lord of her life. She walked in the next day, a new lady, 
into her boss and said, I'm done stripping. She gave up her alcohol. She gave up all of the things, those relationships that she had built. She said, I'm a new creature today in Jesus Christ. There's a well, friend. Have you tried the Lord Jesus Christ?